0: Answering more of your questions about what the 2020 hurricane season may mean for airports and flight operations, particularly as we continue to grapple with COVID-19. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news. While it remains impossible to predict the likelihood of tropical storms in the Atlantic with 100% accuracy, indications are that the 2020 hurricane season, which began in early June and extends through November, may be a particularly active one. NBAA recently delved into this topic in an episode of the Association's NewsHour webinar series, and today we'll address a few more audience questions from that presentation. With me now are webinar presenters Chris Rozanski, Executive Director for the Naples Airport Authority in Florida, and John Kosak, CAM, Program Manager for Weather at NBAA Air Traffic Services. Also with us is meteorologist and NBC news producer Katherine Prosev, who is also the co-founder of Monarch Weather Consultants and who moderated the NBAA Hour presentation. Catherine, before we get to audience questions, let's start with one that may seem pretty basic, but it's really at the core of what we're talking about today. I know it's still early in the season, but do we have any indications yet of what kind of hurricane season we may be looking at for 2020?
1: Yes, we do. And uh, thank you for having me for this. So um, to answer your question, unfortunately, we are looking at a potentially above average hurricane season and what makes that even more interesting is it's nearly a unanimous forecast across you know all the meteorological organizations including noaa who have put out their seasonal forecast the consensus is there for an above average hurricane season in terms of number of named storms which they're saying you know will be more than that average of 12 and in terms of major hurricanes the national hurricane center you know and noaa they're predicting 3 to 6 major hurricanes defined as you know category three or higher and the average is three so um you know two reasons for that we've got very warm anomalously warm water temperatures in the atlantic and a favorable upper level wind pattern that we call enso neutral which stands for el nino southern oscillation um that could promote hurricane development in the atlantic so uh yes unfortunately we could have a busy season i will note though busy does not correlate to a lot of landfalls, there's no way to know that at that time, you could have an above average season with a ton of storms, and none of them make landfall. However, you know, we've already had three named storms this season, two of which have made landfall, they were only tropical storms, which I shouldn't say nothing is only a tropical storm, they also caused, you know, strong winds, they also caused flooding rain. But to have that many storms already, you know, so early in the season, let's just say, you know, we're off to a fast start.
0: And speaking of those two tropical storms that have already made landfall this year, John, please tell us a bit about how those storms affected operations in the National Airspace System, particularly as we also had to deal with the effects from COVID 19 in the NAS.
2: Yeah, thanks, Rob. The drop-off in volume of traffic is helping us from a standpoint of not having to put out significant reroutes. We don't have to take people way out of the way like we're used to seeing when there's the volume that we're used to. Just as an example, on a regular weekday right now, uh, we've been seeing barely 2,500 flights in the national airspace system, which we're normally used to seeing somewhere in the neighborhood of 55 to 7,500 flights at a time operating in the National Airspace System. So while uh, more of our operators are getting direct clearances or filed on route clearances, they do need to be aware that the, the possibility exists for tactical deviations in route. So if we, you know, we hit a thunderstorm, one of the pinwheels of those tropical uh, storms or hurricanes Crystal Ball was a great example as that thing basically ran right up the Mississippi Valley and through the Great Lakes and into Canada. We saw the pinwheels of that storm reach out significant distances. And so while we're not seeing things that are going to end up as what we would consider major traffic management initiatives like a ground delay program, a ground stop, or an airspace flow program, uh, operators do need to fuel for the tactical reroute contingency and the the possibility that if there's a thunderstorm over their terminal when they're trying to land uh, that they're going to be holding for a little bit of time as well. Chris
0: you're located in the far southwestern corner of Florida and I know that Naples is no stranger to tropical storms and hurricanes. Can you tell us a bit about how your airport prepares for the arrival of a named storm and how soon do you begin planning that response?
3: Sure. Thank you. Uh, well, preparation begins long before a named storm approaches. We, we practically think about it and plan for uh, hurricane season all year. And But when it comes down to uh, a storm has been established, it has a projected path that could impact Florida, we, we don't even so closely pay attention to uh, where exactly it is at the moment. If it looks like it could impact Florida, we spring into action. And so you want to make certain at that point that you have a personnel plan. You immediately, uh, not just as an airport operator and the SBO, we want to make certain that we have uh, an adequate supply of fuel, aviation fuels and automotive fuels, um, and for our generators, which I'll run out uh, on diesel, because as a storm approaches, whether it's uh, looking at the east or the west coast, uh, we all get our fuel supply from the ports, and uh, they shut down uh, a couple days before a storm arrives, and that is our most critical lifeline into how we get aircraft in and out of the community. And then, even down to the detail level as to what do you do with your trucks? Uh, There may be risk of flooding or maybe risk of tornado on the airport, so we actually have a detailed plan as to where we position our fleet of 10 fuel trucks uh, as the storm approaches to try and minimize impact from a loss should one portion of the airport be hit by a tornado during a hurricane. Staffing plan is equally important because your fuel, your trucks are no good without Train qualified, ready personnel. And uh, we, we try to set a schedule and there are people that we identify as, as critical for needing to be there in the days leading up to a storm. Regardless though of how much we plan for, uh, individual employees' uh, circumstances kind of dictate how long they're able to work before a storm arrives. And uh, as I recall back from Irma, within uh, three days of Irma arriving, and uh, we were down to about 10 to 15 percent of normal staffing levels. So unfortunately, at that point, you have to reduce services and try to do the bare minimum to accommodate people who want to fly in or, more importantly, fly out of the community uh, when you get within that three-day window. And so you, you want to make certain, too, for the staff that are going to be there throughout the storm and after that you have uh, more than ample supply for two weeks of food and water and shelter. And that just goes to, it's just doing the right thing for your people to take good care of them. So they're, they're there to assist us uh, in fulfilling the airport's role in providing relief for a community after the storm.
2: So... Rob, if I could just uh, pile on to that, that's the second half of the question you asked me earlier about the National Airspace System. Fixed-base operators, airports, the centers, Miami Center, Jacksonville Center, Atlanta Center, Houston, all the centers that are along the Gulf and East Coast, the TRACONs, the towers, all of those facilities have people in them too and have contingency plans like Chris was just mentioning. So that's the other half of the conversation where operators have to think about. If you're waiting until the last minute, these services that you're normally used to having may not be available.
0: Catherine, we have a very specific meteorological question that came in during the webinar that asks, what affects the bathymetry or depth of the seafloor has on the strength of the resulting storm surge as a hurricane makes landfall? What kind of research has been done on that?
1: That is a a very specific topic in, you know, there are storm surge specialists out there who focus on this topic and this topic only because it is so important. You know, storm surge, especially, I, I mean, it's an issue for everywhere along the East Coast, but the Northern Gulf Coast, you know, that Great Bend area of Florida is one of the most storm surge prone areas in the world because of the bathymetry. It's a shallow continental shelf, which really helps that water to just rise and get pushed up, you know, and to give people a visual, you know, it's like a a very kind of shallow ramp, if you will, that continental shelf that leads from, you know, the middle of whether it's the Atlantic or the Gulf, you know, and a steady rise up to the coast, as opposed to, let's say the West Coast, for example, which is characterized, you know, by steep drop-offs and, and steep cliffs, uh, which would not necessarily promote, you know, as easy of a water rise. Uh, in terms of, you know, exact studies, uh, since that's not exactly my wheelhouse, I can't give you some off the top of my head, but a great resource is the National Hurricane Center. Just over the last few years, they have released new storm surge products to better try and forecast it, take into account And also take into account sea level rise. So great, great question. Um, You know, even just going online and researching and the National Hurricane Center is a great place to start uh, because, yes, ongoing research constantly.
0: John, another question we couldn't get to during the webinar asks about available weather resources or apps that, to your knowledge, display an outline or representation of the overall convective field of a storm, in addition to maps of thunderstorm activity and hurricane force winds that we typically see as a storm approaches. Rob,
2: I have two products for our listeners. I had a feeling you would. The first one is something that I've had the pleasure of working on for well 10 years now uh, with the uh, FAA Collaborative Decision Making Weather Evaluation Team. It is the Traffic Flow Management Convective Forecast or TCF for much shorter. The address is real easy. It's aviationweather.gov slant TCF. This is a fantastic product. I think it's almost exactly what the questioner is looking for. It is a Three-panel look, so it gives you a look at the four-, six-, and eight-hour expected convective forecast. And we're looking at sparse coverage, so areas where we're probably going to be able to get aircraft through uh, with those tactical deviations that we've been talking about. Medium coverage, where that's probably going to be much more difficult, and then of course solid lines, which we're probably going to want to avoid at all costs. The outer bands of Cristobal did show up on this forecast product as that made its way up the uh, Mississippi River Valley, Uh, so I'm confident that this is a good product. It also has the expected maximum tops for these storms on there, which is also useful. Uh, Because if we're not expecting something to be over 30,000 feet or flight level 300, there's a lot of times when the business aircraft community is going to be able to overfly that or top that. The other product that I would like to suggest is the Aviation Weather Center's Graphical Forecast for Aviation, or just GFA for short. And it's almost an identical address. It's aviationweather.gov slant GFA. And you would just go to the TS or thunderstorm forecast on this, uh, and it's a 17-hour outlook. So this will give you a pretty good idea of where that stuff is. And a a recent addition over the last uh, year is that they've added the coverage for the Gulf and the New York Oceanic Airspace, which we haven't really had any insight into in the Recent history for forecast products. So, uh, two great products.
0: And, Chris, our third question from the audience is firmly in your wheelhouse. What are some of the biggest variables when it comes to an airport recovering after a storm has come through?
3: The number one variable is how quickly can we safely get staff back to the airport? Uh, Because without your team, you can't put into effect any other recovery operations. We do keep a minimal number of staff on site at the airport, but we try to be mindful of people's personal circumstances and we don't require that of a lot of staff. So get having a core skeleton crew, if you will, on, on the premises really helps us to, to put that recovery plan until some of the other staff can slowly return And without being too formal, we've actually been pretty uh, fortunate at having people come back to to jump in and regardless of what your title or position is, uh, it's all hands on deck and and everybody jumps in and and fills a role where needed. Debris cleanup, uh, we have a lot of equipment on premises. And and there's some resources that are pre-positioned before a storm that help, not just with debris cleanup, but with restoration of electricity and other utility services. However, like we saw with Hurricane Irma, that can take upwards of two weeks. So we have all of our critical facilities on backup generator with two weeks supply of diesel fuel. That just gives us a leg up in the recovery effort and let the airport uh, shine, because that's really a critical role for airports in Florida and elsewhere after a major weather event that has impacted your community.
0: In conclusion, John, what additional advice do you have for operators as we go through this season? My first
2: piece of advice is if you're an NBAA member, we would ask you to sign up for the airspace alerts. Not only do we send out VIP-TFR information and airspace flow program information, but this is where our hurricane updates get sent to throughout hurricane season. So once we stand that up and start doing that, more often than not for any hurricane that's going to impact U.S. or FAA facilities. So, I mean, even if it's down in the, uh, the Virgin Islands, uh, Puerto Rico, any of our territories that are impacted by this, we're going to start sending this out uh has a lot of good information in it, and it has uh, two of the most important links that I generally am going to recommend during uh, the season outside of the two web pages that I just talked about. But the National Hurricane Center page uh, is absolute must. Again, I'm a big fan of looking at that page and gathering all the information, but one of my favorite things to read on there is the discussion. Uh, because it gives you some idea of the level of confidence of what the forecast is. Uh, and what I mean by that is they, they tell you that they're looking at all these different models. And you don't have to understand the models and the names and all that stuff. But what it does is it tells you they're all agreeing on a storm or they're all disagreeing on a storm. Uh, and that gives you some idea of you know what level of preparation you need to make one way or the other sometimes. The other thing is the FAA's advisory database page, because the FAA will also put out hurricane updates. So once a hurricane gets within 48 hours of landfall, they'll usually start having telcons, where they're involving all the possible impacted facilities and people. And they'll be talking with people like Chris, who are the directors for these airports and these FBOs, trying to find out. Uh, exactly what they're dealing with in that specific area or across the region that's expected to be impacted. And this will go out twice a day, usually once in the morning, once in the evening. So those are my my big takeaways. Chris, what advice do you have for operators from the airport side?
3: Sorry to sound redundant, but uh, this was addressed several times both on the webinar i think and, and on the the call here that the the preseason planning is just so critical tony uh, touched on it uh, and i think they do a great job and i appreciate the challenges that some aircraft operators may have with their with clients and wanting to wait but Uh, That's another piece, the the emphasizing the importance of not waiting to the last minute because it can be catastrophic and you may not be able to evacuate depending upon what's going on at the airport, whether we can remain open or at a reduced service level or even have to close earlier than we anticipated. Uh, Secondly, I I would encourage operators to have a dialogue with their respective home airport or an airport where they frequently do business and learn about uh, what is their plan? What do they have in place? Is there a communications network at the airport level that they can sign up to receive? I mentioned that we employ a email and texting communication service that uh, has preferential uh, bandwidth treatment from FCC. So even if a lot of cell phone towers are down, that those those time-sensitive emergency communications can go out. And that's through a company named Everbridge. And that is being adopted more and more across the nation. I know here locally in uh, Naples, both the city and county government have adopted it as well. And so we, we find that to be an incredibly valuable service that would benefit um, all of us in the aviation industry to to be able to utilize when those traditional means of communication go down.
0: And Catherine, although we're obviously focused on the aviation side of things, there are, of course, millions of people along the eastern seaboard and the Gulf Coast on the ground that may also face these storms making landfall. What advice do you have for them?
1: Be aggressive. You know, the messaging that we're doing, you know, at on the broadcast side of things, given you know we have COVID nineteen out there as a you know complicating factor, that is just going to make preparing your hurricane kit. Uh, you know you you have to put more in it. Uh, I saw some guidelines saying you know put two face masks in at, at least two. Really, you should have one for each family member in your hurricane kit that you would take somewhere. You know if you had to evacuate. Uh, They're also talking about in certain communities that evacuation time or the lead time is going to be longer. So, you know, to get more people, you know, more time because time, you know, equals more space and spacing everyone out. So we just keep saying over and over again, be aggressive, have your plan now. I mean, really, we've had three storms already, but with the majority of the hurricane season still ahead of us, you know, everyone can still pay attention, get your kits, have your evacuation plan, you know, again, keep it in mind, COVID with social distancing, having your PPE, whatever you need. And in terms of resources, you know, it's listen to your local officials. If they say evacuate, you know, they're telling you to do so for a reason. Listen to your local meteorologists who are giving you the updated information. And of course, you know, I'll always point to the National Weather Service And the National Hurricane Center, you know, they are the chiefs, they are the best in the biz, and they will put out, you know, all your information, your updated forecast information that you need to make those right decisions.
0: NBAA members are invited to view the full hour-long NBAA Hour webinar that drove this conversation, Preparedness and Expectations for this Hurricane Season During COVID-19, at nbaa.org forward slash news hour forward slash weather. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking Alexa or another connected device, or download them from NBAA.org. I'm Rob Finfrock, and thanks for listening to Flight Plan.